Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Uh, this evening, I would like to continue with the same talk I gave last time on meeting difficult emotions with right mindfulness. We covered a lot of ground, and I had a question. Somebody asked me a question. Please remind us of the five guidelines in using right mindfulness to deal with difficult emotions. So I'm going to give them and then continue with the talk. So all these are different tools uh, that you can use. And some of them will work for you, others won't work, but it's good you have a toolbox with all these tools. So I talked about right mindfulness, so six senses, and when you're hearing something, just become aware of hearing seeing, thinking, testing. And this is uh, the way we, we, we practice right mindfulness. It's not, oh, hearing, I don't like it, or I like it. <laughs> so these are kind of reactions we have. So it's really mindfulness at the moment of the six senses, hearing, testing, thinking, and so on. Then the next one was uh, mindfulness of the presence and absence of the emotion. So that's very clear. Then the next one was right mindfulness regarding the attitude towards the emotions. Are you pushing them away? Are you indulging in the emotions? Are you ignoring them? Or are you understanding? We talked about that also. That's the third guideline. The fourth was mindfulness of the conditionality and the universal nature of these emotions. We saw the conditions for the arising of a particular emotion, and we saw that they are rising and passing away. And then number five is mindfulness. Uh, Really, it's about mindfulness of letting go of our views and craving we have around emotions. This is mine, this is myself, this is who I am. So those are the five guidelines I gave last time. And if they're not clear, you can write me another note and I write them down <laughs> on a bulletin board. I'll, I'll be happy to do so. Now, today's talk is a continuation of last, last talk, and uh, as you know, in Buddhism we have so many lists. There's a common saying that if there's no God in Buddhism, at least they have lists. <laughs> list of this, list of that, five of these, six of these, and for me I even create some. <laughs> if I don't, find, I don't find them in the Buddhist scriptures, I create them, <laughs> like a space. <laughs> <laughs> I created. These are all wonderful lists and tools to use. Eighteen years ago, that brings us to 2000, I was on staff here. I was brand new in the United States. I came in 1999. I was not so much used to the weather here, New England weather. A Ugandan in New England. (laughs) (laughs) And being on staff here, it was cold. In the woods, there's a lot of snow. I dodged going outside, actually, for a long time. I, don't, I didn't go outside. <laughs> but I, I asked myself, 
How long am I going to dodge, keep on dodging, going outside? So then I try to go outside with some clothes from Uganda, of course, <laughs> not working. <laughs> and then I went to there's a place there, the room there, you can get down jackets. I got one, you know. It was good, but it was not covering my fingers and my feet. So I think for the down jacket was good, but it was not doing the job. So I called a friend of mine who told me that there's no bad weather, there's bad clothing. I said, what? <laughs> uh, then I, I decided to go with a friend of mine to Boston. There's a shopping center, it's called R-I-E, no, R-E-I. I'm very bad about these things. And then when I reached there, I saw actually proper clothing. <laughs> and then I decided to get ski pants, you know, ski pants. <laughs> Down jacket I had, then ski pants, then boots, we got the boots. And then I decided to ask battery-operated gloves. <laughs> because the gloves that I got, they were not working putting on mittens, I think they're called mittens, I mean, mittens? Yeah, 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 I don't remember, you know. In Uganda, I don't put on these things. <laughs> then I put another gloves, it's not working. I asked the, shop, the shopkeeper, can I get battery-operated gloves? <laughs> so that I feel warm at the, at the end of my fingers, it was so cold. He said, no, we don't have them yet. I plan to go to a ski resort where I can find them because I know those people there are having a good time. Probably they have a good good tools, you know, to face the cold. Anyway, all the time I stayed in the United States, I've never got battery-operated gloves. But I'm very happy about the things I got. I got even something that covers my head and it only leaves the eyes and the nose and the mouth. I remember it was a black one like this and the gloves. So one friend of mine told me, please don't go near the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go near the, poli the post office. There was no problem, but they cautioned me not go anywhere near Barry, Massachusetts banks. Here's a Ugandan, look like a ninja. But I remember the advice of my friend. There's no bad weather. There's bad clothing. Hmm? I tried to uh, extrapolate his advice that there's no bad emotions, but there's lack of mindfulness. That's how I try to extend that advice. There's no bad emotions, but there is lack of mindfulness, lack of wisdom. And uh, the tools that I'm offering here is those are the, your gloves, your boots, your ski pants, your down jacket. It really helps you to deal with the weather. For me, weather is very good for a, met a metaphor for emotions because the weather is also unpredictable. It changes all the time. Hmm? It changes, especially Massachusetts weather. It changes a lot. Up to now, when I go to cold places, I make sure that I get proper clothes. So when you have emotions going on in your life, try to remember the tools we are giving you. Hmm? Remember the tools. Hmm? They are tested. They come from... Uh, this ancient wisdom 2,600 years ago, we draw from those, uh, uh, this wisdom, very old wisdom, ancient wisdom, the Buddha's teaching. Some of it, it's our kind of uh, experience. We come up with some kind of uh, tools to deal with emotions. You know? Sometimes we use that approach. So today I'm going to talk about five more tools that you, you want to use 
when you have difficult emotions. And I'm going to draw from a, a discourse called Vitaka Santana Sutta. Already Jaya gave a, gave a beautiful talk on overcoming obsessive thoughts. I thought of using the same templates because uh, there is a, a relationship between thoughts and emotions. There's a close relationship between thoughts and emotions. Maybe you sit here. You start uh, sitting here another 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Pain vi start visiting you like weather. Mm -hmm. Pain comes. So a thought might arise. Oh, it might start maybe with emotion, uh, aversion, a little bit of anger, hatred, aversion towards the cushions. You know. And then, then a thought might arise. Oh, maybe I should change this posture. Oh, my leg is going to be broken by the time, at the end of the seat, you know. Oh, maybe my leg... Uh, might be uh, amputated, something like that. Then you get, keep on preoccupied by these thoughts, and then another emotion comes, emotion of fear, and then another thought. So there is a thought, then there's emotion, then there's a thought. It keeps on going on and on, you know, and you get really caught up in this. So for me, uh, that's why I'm using the same template, because I say close connection, with uh, thoughts and emotions. Maybe you are not going through pain. And maybe you are just sitting here, no pain at all. And then sound arises. Maybe it's next to you, somebody next to you, coughing, clearing your throat or sneezing. And then a thought arises, oh, I'm going to catch a cold. Just a thought. And human beings, are, we are amazing. Just the sound of a human being can actually ruin our day. But birds are making sounds, you know. Haven't you heard birds making sound? We don't, we don't really complain about birds making sound. But one time I was leading a, a retreat in Hawaii. Uh, it's, uh, in the Zen Center. It's Honolulu, yes, Honolulu. And they have these roosters. Amazing, that reminds me of Uganda. We have these beautiful roosters. And in Hawaii, there are so many, and they are making a lot of noise each morning. <laughs> and then the yogis loved it. It's amazing. But actually, it was easy to hate it because it was actually overboard. The sound was too much. <laughs> but the yogis kept on coming. They say, wow, I love loosters. I have a lot of compassion towards loosters. I say, what? <laughs> uh, I've never seen that happening. Most of the time, really, uh, I thought of a, a yogi clearing a throat, you know. It can trigger an emotion of fear of getting sick, and then you are here for three months, you're going to go to the ICU. <laughs> All those are thoughts. You're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> You'll be here. <laughs> we have lots of medicine. <laughs> You'll be fine, you know. I'm not saying expose yourself to, yeah, to these kind of things, but I'm talking about thoughts, you know, running in your head, you know. And they trigger a lot of emotion without knowing. Before we know where we are, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anger. I think just watch that. So the methods, uh, the tools I'm going to use, of course, as I told you, I draw from uh, the, this discourse on obsessive thoughts. And I'm going to substitute thoughts there with uh, emotions. So if you remember Jaya's talk, it was really a beautiful talk, uh, drawing from the discourse of the Buddha, and I use it myself a lot in my practice. The first one, 
there are five of them. I told you we have lists. <laughs> one is replacement, the second one reflection, the third one is redirection, the fourth is retracing, and the fifth is resolution. So those are five things I'm going to talk about today. So we start with the uh, replacement. Replacement is really a very simple tool you can use uh, when you have emotions. It's really substituting with the opposite of a particular emotion. If you can use mindfulness, that's where mindfulness is very important. You have to be mindful to know which particular emotion is arising and is it skillful, is it unskillful, and should you find out it's maybe greed, then you substitute it with generosity. Hmm? If it's anger, you substitute it with loving kindness. You have done this practice, you have met a loving kindness. If it's uh, cruelty, uh, then you substitute it with compassion. If it is uh, jealousy and uh, envy, you substitute it with uh, mudita, appreciative joy. May you enjoy your success. If you see a meditator sitting here and sitting one hour, two hours, you go to work and they're still there, don't be jealous about them. <laughs> Nibbana is open. The door is open. <laughs> they're not going to diminish your Nibbana. Your fun enlightenment, you know. I don't think so. That's the beauty of this practice, you know. Our, fin our final goal, which is liberation, it's not, gonna, it's not going to be diminished by other people meditating well. You, in other words, you're not going to miss <laughs> out to anything, you know. So when people are practicing very well, you wish them, hmm, may, uh, may you enjoy your success, spiritual success. I was in a monastery where people were sitting four hours in a stretch. I'm telling you, I said, where do they get the gas? <laughs> I think that's a Ugandan who was saying it. Okay, where do they get the efforts, right? Four hours in a stretch. It was amazing. And in Bam also, I went there. There's some of the people were sitting like for three hours without moving at all. Wow. And others were coming like to start meditation at 2.30 a.m. When do you start meditation here, by the way? Four? Four or five? <laughs> I think five, six? <laughs> In Burma, people start meditation at 3 a.m. You are sleeping and you hear the gong. Dong! Dong! And then I'm telling you, you wake up and you, you go to meditate and you find somebody who are even there before you, like 2.30. What are you going to do with these people? Are you going to... <laughs> As a monk, even I was challenged. I remember one time, the first week in Burma, the wake up time at 3 a.m., our monastery in West Virginia wake up time was 4.30. So that's one hour behind, one hour and a half behind my normal time. So I wake up and say, wow, I'm a monk. I should really actually adjust to this time. I'm telling you, I was so exhausted the first week. And then, but when I went there, I found a Canadian who actually is there before 3 a.m. I said, What? What's going on here? Can you imagine somebody go before 3 a.m.? I said, this person has a lot of energy. So once I, I started actually continuing the practice, I kind of wished him to be successful in his spiritual practice. Not envy, right? Not jealous about this person, you know. Yes, and uh, this is a very good practice when you have jealousy and envy. You just substitute it with uh, mudita, appreciative joy. And what about fear? When you have fear, you substitute it with the opposite, courage. Again, you require mindfulness. If you do this without mindfulness and wisdom, it's really a kind of defense mechanism. Defense mechanism, try to dodge fear and just 
grab courage. And that's the difference between defense mechanism and the coping up mechanism or this practice. Because sometime I gave this talk, I think I was in Newark recently. Somebody say, oh, is it not defense mechanism? I say, no, defense mechanisms are unconscious. You do this kind of unconscious uh, mental processes that are initiated in a way to avoid difficult areas in your life. So this is very, very important to remember that this is a still mindfulness is necessary to pick up these tools that you are using. You pick up these tools, how you apply them, you need to be mindful. Okay, there's fear, you notice it. And what notices fear is actually mindfulness. It's mindfulness that notices fear. And then you find out a proper tool to do the opposite, which is courage. What about judgmental mind? What do you repress it with? When you have such a judgmental mind, you repress it with what? Mm, also, you can repress it with meta. And also, being judicious. There's a difference between judgmental, being judgmental, and being judicious. Being judgmental is based on your aversion, your biases. By, but being judicious is based on your understanding and your loving kindness, compassion, and all these things. So it's okay to be judicious. Uh, while talking about judgment, my mind, uh, there's a way how to deal with it also. I found out that could even probably fit in other techniques, but for me, there's something I remind myself and I read it somewhere. It, it was saying that if you spend all your time judging others, you will not have time left to love others. For me, that has been very powerful in terms of dealing with the judgmental mind. If you use all your time to judge yourself and judge others, you will not, there will be no time left to love yourself and love others because you are spending all this time judging others. So then we go to the second one. The second one is reflection, reflect. This is a, a very, very important method, but it has also to have, it has to have mindfulness. It's not about reflecting on this and that, but really it, you use mindfulness to reflect on the connection between the emotion and the pain and the suffering. We connect. We use mindfulness to connect. There's a connection between this emotion and suffering. According to discourse, uh, we have to look at, okay, this thought leads to suffering. But as I told you, I'm using the template to talk about emotions, then I have to draw from other discourses like Upali Sutta in Majimanikaya where the Buddha talks about how we can reflect on a danger. We can reflect on a defilement and reflect on the degradation. So now, when there is emotion, let's say anger, what's the danger? Do we need to go to a, uh, school and the college and get a college degree uh, in psychology to know what anger feels like, whether it's painful or leads to suffering? I don't think so. You can see for yourself when anger rises, how it's connected with, to suffering, the tightness and tensions and all these things. So you can reflect on the danger, uh, even in the present, this present life, uh, when you see the danger of anger, it undermines health, you know, even concentration. Have you ever tried to read a book when you're angry? You read the line again and again, again and again, 
for me, that's uh, so directly the danger of having aversion. Really, you can't concentrate. You can't read the book. You know, one page, <laughs> you can't read it. So I think you can see the danger of uh, this aversion, anger. I don't know whether you believe in a rebirth, but those who do, <laughs> we know that the consequences of being angry all the time can lead to a rebirth in an animal world. But if you don't believe in rebirth, or re-becoming, re actually, should be re-becoming, you know yourself when you're angry, it's as if you are actually part of the animal world here, not the other rebirth after death. But really being in this world, when you're angry, really you feel you, you belong to somewhere in your, among lions or something like that, or tigers, I don't know, bears, I don't know here. You have bears. I know I've seen black bears here. So you feel as if you are part of that family. <laughs> yes. So you know the anger. Uh, I mean, how you feel, the danger. The Dharma one time said that anger is one, one letter uh, short of danger. So, and that's a D. <laughs> when you write anger, so it's missing only one letter D. <laughs> to see the danger. So, of course, defilement also, whenever we have these uh, difficult emotions, they defile, they defile our mind. What this means is that, for instance, you start with 10% and you, you give in. So next time when anger rises or fear, you are going to have maybe 10, uh, 10 plus 10, which is 20. So you keep on actually increasing your anger. So the anger you are experiencing now, today, is an accumulation of the past anger you had. It's an accumulation. Yeah, so we have to not start. If we reflect on this, that helps us maybe to drop the thoughts of anger. Degradation, it degrades our, our status. If you're the person who's getting angry all the time, people don't want to associate with you. You lose respect. Somebody asked a question actually here. Again, that pertains to, uh, to my talk last time. Bante, first, thank you for being so inspiring. If you could uh, talk, no, if you could uh, have the Dhamma talk on anger and how to deal with the object, I would, it would be super. Asante sana, that's Swahili. Thank you very much. So actually, uh, this one can come here. I was talking about the, uh, I was talking about a mind state before anger. There's what you call anger as a mind state, and also there's the ob object of anger. This is the object of anger, maybe a person triggering you to be angry. So here in this method of reflection, we can look at this person as the object itself. We can reflect according to four elements. You have already studied about four elements. You know four elements. You ask yourself, which element am I angry with? Is it earth element? Water element? Very soon, maybe you won't find one. And then uh, five aggregates. And I think one of us will talk about five aggregates. That means form, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. So you ask yourself, am I angry with feelings? Am I angry with the perceptions? Am I angry with consciousness? So you divide the object into different aspects, even... Uh, you can ob ob divide the, uh, say it's a human being, you divide them, maybe 32 parts of the body, right? But maybe you want to work with only the five visible ones. Am I angry with the hair? Am I angry with somebody's teeth? Am I You'll actually not find anything, actually. If you keep on analyzing like this, first you get tired of analyzing. <laughs> Actually, you don't find anything really you are angry with, you know. Really, when you look at it, 32 parts of the body. Are you angry with somebody's nails or what? You don't find. 
actually as you are doing it uh, you are buying time also because really most of the time when we are angry uh, so there's some kind of a adrenaline kicking in and then you stress and tension and tightness as you are doing this reflection actually that can bring uh, some kind of uh, calmness for me when I come to this uh, reflection the second method I become very very creative I become very creative I find my own solution this is how I reflect when I have some difficulties there's anger for instance I'm giving an example I do a little bit of mathematics I say yes the Buddha died when he was 80 years, 8-0. I'm 52, so I do the math. Okay, 80 minus 52, that's 28. All right? So now I start reflecting. Do I want to spend 28 years angry? I found out no, of course no. But I even become very conservative. I say, okay, no, I spend those 28 years Part of the time I, t I spend sleeping, you know. So that's down to what? 14. <laughs> then I ask myself, do I want to spend 14 years angry at this person, at this situation? Hmm? I don't want to spend 14 years. <laughs> you know? Actually, we think we have a lot of time, but it's not a lot. <laughs> so do your math. Yeah? If you are 30, if you are 40, if you are... Do your math and find out. I mean, this is a reality check. You reflect. Do you want to really spend the next 30 years, the next 40 years, uh, the next 50 years? Actually, time runs very fast. When I, I told you 18 years ago, I was on the staff here, putting on ninja things, you know. <laughs> 18 years is gone like this. It's amazing for me. So you do the timeline. Find out, okay, where you reflect whether you really want to spend the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years really angry about a particular situation or person or whatever it is, you'll get the answers and you'll decide what you really want, want to do. I use this reflection. There's a lot of reflections I do, but that's enough, I think, for that particular reflection. There's a lot to talk about this a lot. The third way to deal with difficult emotions, mm. by the way, before I go even to the third one, this method works very well in day life, as you know, anybody who drives on a highway or going any place, and you, f you really speeding, even going beyond the speed limit. <clears throat> and you see a, a traffic police over there. And you're speeding maybe eight mi 80 miles per hour. And then you see a traffic police there. And you know that you are exceeding the speed limit, which is 60 kilometers per hour. So do you, once you see the police, do you continue driving very fast or you slow down? <laughs> what do you do? You slow down. Why do you slow down? Have you ever asked why you slow down? It's because you reflect. You reflect that you are going to get an expensive ticket. $50 ticket. Not a good idea. I always ask why people slow down. It's because they don't want to get a ticket. So if we do this in day life, during driving, and we slow down because we are afraid of getting a ticket, why don't we do it during meditation? When anger rises, when fear rises, we should reflect that we are going to get an expensive ticket. <laughs> and what's that ticket? Peace of mind. I'm telling you, peace of mind, the last thing you want to do is to really lose your peace of mind. One time, uh, I don't have time. Anyway, <laughs> one time, <laughs> I did, 
a friend of mine in India is called Vimla Thaka. And I was staying in India and I, I went and told her that I've lost my peace of mind. Actually, she first asked me, why are you so small? You know, <laughs> you have lost weight. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know why, but uh, I told her that I've lost peace of mind. He told me that, no, you have to retain your peace of mind, all right? Don't allow others to lose, uh, to make you lose peace of mind, your peace of mind. And then I, I worked on regaining my peace of mind, but it takes a long time. Lose peace, losing peace of mind, it takes a second like this. But really, regaining your peace of mind is a very expensive ticket. <laughs> so reflect. This method is for you. Reflect before you really give in. You know, in your own emotion, whether that's fear or anger, really take a good reflection, mindfulness, mindful reflection. Because if you get a ticket, it's very difficult. Okay, we go to the third one. The third one is called re directing your mind. There the Pali word is called Asati Amanisikara, which is really translating, uh, they translate it as ignoring, but I don't want to use the word ignoring. Because I feel that if I use the word ignoring, it has an element of ignorance. So, <laughs> so what I do to translate this word is really redirecting my mind towards something wholesome. Other than ignoring what's unwholesome, I really want to redirect my mind to something wholesome. So that's how I, I look at it. In other words, this method, uh, it really enjoins us to really um, change our object. If the focus is on negative aspects of the, the particular experience, we actually start uh, focusing on the positive aspects. There's a whole discourse the Buddha gave in Anguttara Nikaya. It's called Agatha Vinaya Sutta, and it's translated as uh, subduing hatred. I like this discourse very much because the Buddha told us here to dissect the object the object of anger, the object of hatred. Again, this answers the question of the yogi. The yogi asked me how to deal with anger and the object of anger. Here, the object, the trigger of anger, we can use what we call mental dissection. We dissect a human being, for instance. We, disse we dissect the human being into three things going on here. One is their physical behaviors, Two is their verbal behaviors. Three is their mental behaviors. All right? Three things we dissect. So now, the first scenario, we find out, okay, this person, their physical behaviors is not good. But their verbal behaviors is good. So the Buddha gives gave the instruction on really focusing on focusing on the positive aspects, and don't focus on the negative aspects. And according to this discourse, the, the hatred will subside. The second scenario is the opposite. The physical, be physical behaviors are good, and verbal behaviors are not good. Or in other words, are negative or not good. So again, the instruction is that you focus on the physical behaviors and not on uh, verbal behaviors. And then the third scenario, it's about this person who is good, mental, uh, men, uh, physical behavior is good, verbal behavior is good, but from time to time, they have clarity of mind. Not all the time, part-time basis. Part-time basis, their mind is a bit clear, you know. The Buddha again say, okay, just focus on the positive aspects. Their physical, verbal behaviors and ignore kind of their uh, mental behaviors. Then we come to the fourth category 
of that person. Hmm? Their verbal behavior is not good. Physical behavior not good. Mental behavior is not good. We are stuck. If it's a relationship, we are done. <laughs> what do you do <laughs> with this person where you cannot find any good? Whether from, from their, their physical behavior, verbal behaviors, and mental behaviors. What do you do with this person? You're a good meditator, you listen to discourses. And most of us, actually, people who meditate, they bring problems, you know. <laughs> yes, because we see all this clearly, you know. <laughs> yes, we see this clearly in others. And for many people, for most of the time, we, we, what we see in ourselves that we don't like, we tend to see them easily in others. What do we do with such person? That trigger. The Buddha said, we actually practice compassion. We treat this person as a patient. What do you do with patients? You kick them around? <laughs> you don't kick around sick people, you know. It's your problem. <laughs> no. <laughs> you give them medicine. To the Buddha, Dharma is medicine, actually. Dharma is medicine. So, we practice compassion. If you say yogi here, walking very fast, breaking noble silence, <laughs> and also they, they seem not clear in their mind. <laughs> so send compassion. May you be happy. May I be, I mean, may you be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering and its causes. I think you won't be able to tell the mental behaviors uh, here and also verbal behaviors because we are all maintaining noble silence. So most of the time you are, gonna, you are going to notice more of a physical behavior, you know. Those people walking too fast, eating too much food, <laughs> do this. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what we watch. But at least now you know the solution now. What do you do with somebody who has physical behavior no good, but uh, verbal behavior is okay, they are keeping noble silence, they are meditating very well, but their physical behaviors is not acceptable. What do you do with that person? You reflect you actually start focusing on positive behaviors. And that's, actually, that's where metta comes into play. You remember when I guided meditation on metta? I told you uh, the proximity cause, not the producing cause, but the supporting cause for metta to arise, loving kindness to arise, is seeing positive aspect in others. Even oneself, actually. You start with seeing positive aspects within yourself and others. If you don't do that, then loving kindness cannot arise because you are unable to see these positive qualities. You are always focusing on negative qualities. If you do focus on negative qualities within yourself and others, it will be very difficult to practice metta loving kindness. So this discourse is actually very interesting. Okay, the fifth, the last scenario, I've talked about four scenarios. The fifth one is when physical behaviors are good, verbal behaviors are good, then mental behaviors also are very good. What do you do with such a person? Everything's good, so you send appreciative joy. May your success continue. So, you see... So all this actually helps us to, to really deal with emotions. You know? emotions. Actually, this uh, redirection method, we do it here in our practice already. When we give you instruction or when the mind wanders, please come back to the breath. So that's redirection method. When the mind wanders, oh, please come back to the breath. When the mind wanders, please come to the body. When the minds come, I mean, when the, when the mind wanders, please open to the sound. So, really, these instructions, we have, been, we have been giving you these instructions about this method on redirecting your mind to something wholesome. So, already you have this, this uh, technique, this method. 
And those who have studied biology, you know very well about sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, as you get a lot of anger or fear, so you, you get into this mode, which we call sympathetic nervous system, whereby you feel tight and tensed and, uh, and uh, stressful. So as actually you come, let's say, to the breath, let's say you have anger and you take a deep breath, three deep, slow breaths, and then once you do that, you start to feel calm and peaceful. Actually, what happens is, from a biological point of view, you cross from sympathetic nervous system to parasympathetic nervous system, where you are relaxed. There's no stress. So really, this have a, a biological explanation how you actually tend to calm down and then you can uh, f uh, deal with emotions. Mm? So again, we have to do it with mindfulness. The fourth way is uh, retracing methods, where you actually go backwards. Reflection was forward-looking. I told you that traffic police. This one is actually going backwards and really find the springboards, the root cause. Why are you the person who's having fear? You go backwards. Why do you have fear? You ask yourself, why do I have fear? Always. You find out maybe there is what to call aversion. And why do you have aversion? You ask yourself, what's the root? Well, then you find out, maybe I have desire to push away things that I don't want, whether it's a view or a perception, your thoughts. So you really find out the springboard. Why are you having this uh, emotion? And then why are you pushing away things? Why, why do you have desire to push away things that you don't want? You find out maybe there's delusion, ignorance. You are ignoring certain situations. And then you can ask, why do I have ignorance? Or why I don't see things clearly? Why am I confused? Then you maybe, maybe you find out that you are paying unwise attention. Right? And then why do you pay unwise attention? It's because you are ignorant. Then it comes like a chicken and egg. Which came first? Is it ignorance? Or is it unwise attention? You may not find out which came first, <laughs> like chicken and egg, but actually it, this helps you to really gradually go to the root cause, and that can help to disengage uh, the difficult emotion. There's a very important uh, gata uh, phrase. It's in, it's in the book called Dhammapada, Again, this is one of the scriptures in Buddhism. It's called Dhammapada. It's so beautiful. It's, there are about four phrases in that book where the Buddha says from craving, from attachment, from lust, from endearment, from affection, arises fear, sorrow, and grief. I'm just putting it all together. Otherwise, I'll spend a lot of time all these four phrases, repeating them. So it said that from craving arises fear. And of course, this craving with all its cousins, you know, uh, affection, endearment, and lust, and attachment. So then this phrase goes like this. From craving arises fear, grief, sorrow. For one who is free from craving, affection, endearment, endearment, attachment, lust, there is no sorrow, grief. How can there be fear? So this is really a psychological underpinning behind this emotion of fear. You can see clearly. You can see clearly uh, where, where it comes from. You know, you can see where fear comes from. Again, this requires maybe some theoretical understanding. I don't think that every single emotion that is going is, to arise, you'll be able to 
to, to retrace it where it's coming from. But it's very, very helpful sometimes to really zero in and find out why this emotion is coming all the time, all the time. It's the same emotion. Why is it coming? So when you find out the root, then it's workable. It's workable. The last one, the last one is called resolution. We've talked about it. Sally talked about determination. And in my first talk on space, I talked about making determination also. I even quoted the Dalai Lama. But I have my version of uh, making a resolution. I'll offer that to you, but let us start with the Buddha. There's a very good resolution the Buddha used to make. I mean, Bodhisattva. I mean, Bodhisattva. That time he was not a Buddha. So I hope you understand the distinction. Before he became a Buddha, he was called Bodhisattva or Bodhisattva in Sanskrit. In Pali, is Bodhisattva. So this is in Majjhima Nikaya number four. This discourse is called Baya Bevera Sutta. It's about the uh, Sutta on fear and terror. I'm just quoting from the discourse. This is how the Buddha de dealt with actually uh, how he resolved whenever fear and terror arose. Quotes, open quotes. If what if I, in whatever state of mind I am in, where when fear and terror came to me, where uh, where to be to subside that. Okay, sorry. What if, what if I, in whatever state I am in, when fear and terror come, come to me, were to subside that fear and terror in that very state? That was, that's a question mark. Then it continues. So when fear and terror came to me while I, am, I was walking back and forth, I would not sit, lie down, lie down or walk. I would keep walking. Yeah, actually she's sitting down and lying down and standing. So I would keep walking back and forth until I had subdued that fear and terror. So this goes to say that if let's say fear arises when you're sitting, you keep sitting. Even if I ring the bell, <laughs> you say, okay, I'm not going to stand up. <laughs> What do you think about that determination? This is what the Bodhisattva made, actually. He never changed the, a posture until a particular emotion, like, for instance, fear and terror, this subsided. I think this is a higher resolution to make. <laughs> Wherever you're walking and then you see another yogi who's not walking properly according to instructions, and you judge them. And they say, well, you notice that you've been judging them. And then, but you still keep on judging this yogi. And he said, no, I'm not going to go back to sit until this judgment of mine disappear. What do you think about this kind of resolution? <laughs> it's really pretty much. <laughs> I think, it, it, I don't know whether it's doable, but I think it's good. Eh? <laughs> Where you make this determination that I'm not going to stand up until anger has subsided. I think it's worth a trying, you know. Well, you can try. You know. We have three months, three weeks, plenty of time. You can experiment with, with these things, you know. <laughs> we'll see when we say you're sitting here for the rest of the whole day, you know. <laughs> so I wonder what is going on in this yogi. It's from Bante's talk, you know. This is following Buddha's instructions, you know. For me, actually, I really appreciate such a determination the, the Bodhisattva had, you know. How about following, following his footsteps, you know? Anyway, here's my de determination I do. There are so many better things to talk about, but anyway, I will end up with my determination. Last time I talked about the Dalamas uh, determination, Every day, as soon as you wake up, I modified it over years. Over the years, I got it in 2000, and then after a few years, I say, why, why don't I make my version, which is very closer to my heart, 
look at my de determination. And again, it's a modification of, from His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. I'm grateful to be awake, alive, and healthy. I'm going to use my life to cultivate virtues such as generosity, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, courage, and attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. You remember I told you, including myself, because I don't want to miss the boat. <laughs> you know that. I'm a Televada monk. I don't want to miss the boat. Huh? His determination continues. I'm not going to waste it cultivating vices such as greed, hatred, cruelty, delusion, fear, and think or talk bad about others, bad things about others. I'm going to be grateful, kindful, mindful, and beneficial. That's Bante's version. <laughs> every morning, every morning, but it came from his oneness, the Dalai Lama. It's still there, the Dalai Lama is still there, and that's what I do every morning. As soon as I wake up, that's what I, I do to make this determination. But this is the question I'm asking you. Do you think that when I make this determination, there will be no opportunities for me to be angry? Or nobody's going to trigger me? Of course, there's so many triggers. You get angry, you know. And, uh, you, uh, but what's really very important for me over the years of making this determination is you're able to notice it. You, you're able to notice Areas where they are triggering you to be angry. Hmm? You are able to not sit clearly, you know. Because I do this as soon as I wake up. Before I go to brush my teeth and all these things. So my mind is so clear, crystal clear when I wake up. And when I reflect this when I'm still in the bed. Ah, it sinks in my mind. So that during the day when there's a little bit of forgetfulness. It's amazing as soon as an opportunity to have fear, to have aversion comes, I remember very clearly, oh, you made the, uh, this determination. You made this resolution, Aditana. There's even a common saying that goes around meditation center that mindfulness is not difficult, but what's very difficult is to remember to be mindful. Really? I mean, mindfulness is not brain surgery. Mindfulness is not brain surgery, in case you think so. But because the word mindfulness, the Pali word is sati, to remember, so we forget easily. <laughs> the Pali word sati means to remember, it means actually it came from, up to now they are using it in India, sumurut. There's even in New Delhi park, a park uh, called sumurut park, remembrance park. So it's to remember, you know, memory but the buddha of course when he came to the scene he raised the, this word to a higher philosophical value to mean be mindful of the present moment what's arising in the present moment to be aware of what's going on in this uh, pro, this body mind processes so this is uh, very interesting for me to really see how this works in my life yes and uh, i am able to catch those moments so I've talked about the five ways and how to deal with the emotions. The first one was replacement. The second one, reflection. The third is redirection. And the, third, the fourth is retracing. And then the last one is called resolution. Now, up to now, you have 10 ways of dealing with difficult emotions. I want to give you the 11th one, which means repeat, repeat, and repeat the above. That's the 11th one, <laughs> adding to your lists. <laughs> the 11th way is actually to repeat all what I've talked about emotions. And I think this is enough for today. Thank you very much for listening. So let us sit for a moment or two. The arising of... Difficult emotions is beyond our control, but right mindfulness and wisdom can make a difference between being free and being caught up in emotions.
Thank you very much for your kind attention. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.